going to hand everybody that's sitting in here right now a stone. I want you to hold that stone in your hand until the end of our service and then you can make your mind up what you're going to do with it. There are several options. There are several options and I'll let you decide which option you feel is the appropriate one to take. But I'd like everybody to have a stone in their hand. (laughs) On the count of three, somebody throw the first one. So everybody in here got a stone in their hand. Has everyone got a stone? No, you don't. Okay, stones are still... Hand up if you don't have a stone in your hand. I want you to have a stone. I want everyone here to have a stone in their hand. Ruth, there's nothing wrong with the fact that you're slow at handing out stones. Nothing wrong with that. That's actually a a good quality trait because we don't want to necessarily be the people handing the stones out. That's, That's not a good thing. Very, very quickly before... We start, um, just a reminder again, up the back, we have the um, sign-on sheet from Emmaus, those people that are committing to pray for the upcoming Emmaus walk. It's up the back, we've got some names on there, but I can also see a lot of blank spaces, um, which to me means we can fit more people down to pray. It's like having blank seats in a building, you know you can fit more bottoms there, so... Um, if you can uh, run up the back before you leave today and if you're going to pray for this uh, and for the people that are on this uh, experience over the weekend, could you please whack your name down? Connor, can you do me a favour? Can you just put that on the table back up the back for me, mate? And also, um, we uh, spoke last week about Kairos, which is a si- on a similar vein in the prisons. And we've been collecting names of people that are praying for that weekend as well. I think they're going into Grafton. Uh, prison, I think it was, um, very shortly. And uh, so thank you for everyone. They've got a whole bunch of coloured strips up there with names on them. Um, I fetched these ones um, back out of the bin this week after my wife threw them in the bin. She just thought somebody left paper laying around the church. It's okay, though. We dive in the bin and we got them all out. Uh, but if there's anybody uh, else that's interested in praying over that weekend as well for uh, the inmates in the prison that will have this opportunity to experience uh, God's love. It's not just about taking in words to them, but it's about an experience for them, an encounter for them. So I'm going to put those up the back. Connor, could you put those up the back for me, mate? Thanks, mate. <laughs> hey, awesome. Awesome stuff. Hey, I came across this early this week and I thought it fitted in a little bit with what we've been uh, talking about uh, the last few weeks. Uh, George Bush was traveling through an airport recently. He saw a man that looked just like Moses. He had longer white hair, had a shepherd's staff. He's wearing a cloak, holding onto two big stone tablets. So George goes up to him and he says, pardon me, but are you Moses? The man doesn't even acknowledge him. He doesn't even look at him. He doesn't say nothing. So anyway, George, sort of a little bit affronted by this. So he says, excuse me, uh, you look just like Moses. Are you actually Moses? And the man still does not respond in any way, shape or form. By now, George is getting a bit irritated. He's not getting any answers off this guy. So one of the Secret Service agents comes over and approaches George, says, is there a problem? And George says, well, actually, there is. I've got this guy here. I've asked him, is he Moses? A couple of times, he won't even respond to me. He won't acknowledge me, nothing. So the Secret Service agent goes, I'll deal with this. He goes over and he says, uh, hey, mate, are you Moses? Why won't you talk to us? The guy kind of looks up a little bit from his downcast face and says, come here. He says, mate, last time I spoke, last time I talked to a bush, I spent 40 years wandering in the desert. I ain't going back there again, so... I thought it was funny. I can tell you what. 
if you should have seen me when I read it, it was nothing like your response. I was rolling around. If you've got a Bible there, turn to John chapter 8 for me. We're going to have a look at something that John, one of the eyewitnesses, one of the guys that uh, was around when Jesus was around, he wrote a book, a letter. You know, it didn't have chapters and verses and it didn't have footnotes and cross-references. It was just literally written on a piece of parchment. And then around 400 it was compiled with a bunch of other letters and documents and so on and slapped in a book that we call the Bible. But the Bible's not saying nothing to us. John is. There's a story in there, and it'll make sense why you've got the stones in your hand. John chapter 8. Starting verse 2. It says, Now early in the morning, he being Jesus, came again into the temple. This whole scene that's about to take place is taking place in the temple. All right? That place where they gathered, the, the central place of Judaism, the Jewish religion. They gathered in the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. When they'd set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Doesn't that sound familiar? Moses said, well, what do you say? Moses said, we should deal with this situation, this person this way. What do you say? You see, we, your little heading probably in your Bible says a woman caught in adultery. It's actually got nothing to do with a woman caught in adultery. She's just a pot plant on the side of the stage. It's actually about a bunch of men who are trying to trap Jesus. It's about a bunch of men who are confronting a man that's bringing in something brand spanking new and different and revolutionary, and they're confronting him with old. And they're going, here's what the old says. Here's what Moses says. What do you say? You can see the pattern. In the words of Dolly Parton, here you come again. I saw back just mentioning the name. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such shall be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stoops down, he writes in the ground with his finger as though he didn't hear him. So when they continue asking him, they keep going, come on. Moses said, what do you say? Come on. Jesus, we're talking to you. Moses said this. What are you going to say about that? Moses told us to do this. Our traditions tell us to do this. God had made an agreement with our nation, and this is what he told us to do to people like her. What do you say? He raises himself up and he says, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at him. Again, he stoops down and wrote in the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to the woman, Where are, you? Where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She says, No one, Lord. And Jesus says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning, I pray that you would open up our eyes. Lord, I know you're here with us. I know you're present with us, God. Not because you're in a building, but because you're in those people that have called upon you, open their hearts to you, you're there with them. Now, Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name, open our eyes to see things new. And open our ears, God, to hear things new. And continue, Holy Spirit, to do a work in us, Lord. We want to be the people of the new and not the people of the old. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. A few uh, years ago, I went fishing with a mate of mine, and we're walking. We're, over in, we're living in Ballon at the time, and I'm walking um, sort of down towards uh, the, the bridge to go for a fish. And I'm walking along, and I'm carrying my fishing rod and my bag and all this stuff, me and a mate of mine. And we're walking along, and it's nighttime. It's probably about 
10 o'clock at night, tide was coming up good, so we're walking along. Next thing you know, we're just walking and chatting. Everything is just going according to plan. Everything is normal. Everything is comfortable. It's the way that it should be. Me and one of my best mates, and we're chatting, and we've got fishing rods, and, and, and the sky is clear, and the tide's coming. It's just, it's how it's always been. It's how it's meant to be. This is as good as it gets, and here we are, <laughs> walking along. And the next thing, out of the blue, something hits me in the face, and my legs go out in front of me. I threw my rod in the air and I landed flat on my back and I'm staring up at the stars and I'm thinking, what was that? What I thought was, because we were walking under this tree, I thought a bat had flown out of a tree and just hit me right in the face and knocked me flat on my back. My rod's gone everywhere, fishing gear everywhere. And I'm laying there dazed, staring up at the, 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 the sky thinking, what was that? Pain, agony, my face is throbbing. And for about three seconds, I'm kind of not even aware of where I am. It's like, what was that? And then this thought comes into my mind, well, it must have been a bat, you know, because a few weeks before that, I was driving home in my car after uh, finishing work, and uh, a bat literally flew. I saw it like 300 metres in front of me, eye level with me, and it just came straight at the car like this. And I'm looking at this bat, and it's looking at me, and as it got closer, I'm going, (gasps) and it was going, (gasps) like that, and then bang, it just hit the glass. I never saw it again, but I made it home, so... I don't know what happened to the bat. <laughs> so I thought a bat hit me in the face. Anyway, as I'm gathering my, my thoughts and getting together, I can hear this laughter off in the distance. And I look over to the road and there's a combi van that's driven past me and this guy out the window and I can hear they're going, yeah, yeah, got it, and they're cheering. And I look next to me and here's a rubber thong. Some guy has gone past 80 kilometres an hour and reached out the window and he's thrown a rubber thong and he hit me in the face with this rubber thong, knocked me clean off my feet, landed on my back, lost my battle box, everything. Here I am laying on the... And, and I went from this range of emotions to... I got so mad. I jumped up and I started running towards the car. I don't know what I thought I was going to do. It's going 80 k's an hour, there's probably 20 guys in there. And I'm running towards it with a throbbing face and a thong. Oh, I'll get you! But by the time I finished... Dealing with all that, and we got to our fishing spot, which is about another 400 metres later. By the time I got to the fishing spot, I had gone from thinking, this is so painful and such a bad experience, to what an amazing shot. I'm not angry, I'm really impressed. You know, I wish I could do that. So if, you, if, if, if I see you walking around the street in the next few weeks, I'm gonna, I'll have, if I have a shot, you hit with a thong, it'll be me. I'll do it to you because I know you'll forgive me. But um, you know what? The impact of that thong in my face, that must have been what it must have felt like for the Jewish people in Jesus' time. It must have been such an affront to their current world and their current existence, such an affront to the way they were going about their duty and what they were doing. And along comes this man called Jesus Christ. And Jesus comes in and they are so used to the, 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 the traditional setup. It was Yahweh God and then Moses who wrote the first five books of the Bible, who carried the Ten Commandments down the hill, who spoke. I mean, Moses was the man. And you see right throughout the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you see time and time again this confrontation where they're going, Moses said, but what do you say? Moses said, what are they doing? They're going, here's the old mentality. This is the way we've been raised. This is the agreement we have with God. This is the way we've been trained to think. This is right. And Jesus comes along and he sort of messes that whole thing and he brings a new mentality to the world. He, he, he takes this old, legalistic, black and white mentality and he shuffles things around. 
And he brings in grace. And he brings in the heart. And he brings in uh, a whole bunch of other things, so much so that when he would teach, they said, this guy's preaching new doctrines. When he stood up the Last Supper, he says, this is my blood of the new covenant, kainos, new, totally unheard of. Literally, it's what it means, unheard of, unheralded, brand spanking new, not an old 2.0. And he's constantly confronted with people that want to defend the old way of thinking. And you know what? In 2019, if we're not careful, I think we also need to be aware of how many areas of our own faith in our own life have we allowed ourselves to be dragged back into old ways of thinking. You see, Jesus had a plan for the new people of God. And it wasn't that we just sit in buildings and gather together with people that we like because it's easy to love people that you like. Didn't Jesus say something about that with, you know... Even tax gatherers love other tax gatherers. Even cheats love other cheats. It's easier to love people that think and act and look and smell and taste exactly the same that you do. But Jesus was talking about something so radically and totally different, it must have felt like a thong in the face of the Jewish people. So next time you read about the scribes and the Pharisees and these people, don't, don't try not to get too angry at them. Try not to get too mad about them. Because you've got to realise they've got a whole history behind them. This is what daddy said. This is what granddaddy said. This is what great-granddaddy taught me. This was great-great-great-granddaddy taught me. This is what those holy scriptures teach me. God has an agreement with our nation. We're better than the rest of the world. God's got this exclusive relationship with us. Not with the rest. He's got it with us. And this is how it works. If we do the right thing, he will bless us. But if we do the wrong thing, he will curse us. We've got this relationship. It's an agreement between us and God. And then Jesus comes along and he just messes with the mentality of these people. It must have been amazing to be there. See, we don't get it. We're 2019. We've been brought up with, a, 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 you know, a, I, I don't say this in, uh, in a negative way, but we've been brought up with a westernised version, westernised Pentecostal version of Christianity. We've been taught certain things and led to, to view and look and so on. So we've got our own cultures that we came from and so on. I'm not saying anything wrong with it. I'm just saying we don't understand the line in the sand that Jesus drew. And how incredibly different the new people of God were meant to be to the old movement of God. This new movement was so radical, it transformed the world. It was so radical that they went out there. I love Acts chapter 8. It's one of my favourite passages where it says that Stephen was stoned and killed. And the Bible says that everybody then fled. There was this massive persecution in Jerusalem, the centre of Judaism. And they all took off, scattered everywhere, except the apostles, the bigwigs, the kingpins. They stayed in Jerusalem. Even though Jesus had already said, hey, this is a gospel, this is a message for all nations, all tribes, everybody. But they stayed in the religious hub of Judaism. That's okay, no worries. God's got his way of doing things and he did it anyway. Stephen's martyred and they stayed there, but the Bible says everybody else scattered. And what did they do? It says everywhere they went. Couldn't help but tell people about this life-changing, life-transforming gospel, this good news of this invitation that God extends to us, grace through faith, no longer works-based. And they just took it out there. And they changed the world. They were going forward. They took that message of Jesus. Christ was central to their thinking, their mentality, and everything else was interpreted around what Jesus had to say, what Jesus did, the value base that Jesus left them with. Not the other way around. Jesus interpreted in light of everything else. It's Jesus, central, right at the centre, the linchpin of our faith. Put these glasses on because I can't really read too well without them. 
in reality, if you look at Jesus' teachings, Jesus actually seemed to make it easier for the people that hadn't had a history with God to get in than he did for those that had a history with God to stay in. This is what it must have felt like to be a Jew. You go to the, 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 the Jerusalem council in Acts 15, and you know, you've got Gentiles who are getting saved. These Gentiles are coming to faith. They're giving their life to Jesus. Gentiles are you and me, basically anyone that's not a Jew. And these guys are coming to faith. And, 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 and here's what happens. When Paul, we read about Paul the Apostle and some of his, his missionary journeys and places he would go. He would go into places and he would walk into these nations. He would walk into these Gentile places that weren't tied down to the, ten, the Big Ten and the, all the laws and that of Judaism. And he'd go on in there, but they had their own gods and their own stuff. But he would go in and he would talk to them about a God of grace and mercy. That you can access relationship with God not through anything you do, but through something that Jesus Christ did. He was the final sacrifice. The last bit of blood that ever needed to be spilled for the sin of man was done 2,000 years ago by him. Don't need to spill any more blood. Don't need to work any more for it. It was done 2,000. And they went in with this message. And these people would get excited and these Gentiles would come to faith. You can read about it yourself. A lot lot of these letters that Paul wrote are to Gentile churches, non-Jewish churches. But here was what was going on at the time. Paul would come on into the village, he would preach, and he would leave. And within a week or two, there was this other group of people, well-meaning, I'm sure, group of Christians, but they had a Jewish background. They would come on in. They would say, hey, did Paul come and preach? Yeah, that's awesome. Paul's a great guy. And, and, and did he tell you about the, the cross and the sacrifice? Yeah, he did. Oh, great. Did he tell you about the power of the blood of Jesus? Oh, he did. Yeah, awesome. Did he tell you? you know, yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, and, and did he tell you about circumcision? <laughs> what? Oh, I forgot that bit. No, no. Look, everything, look, everything Paul said is 100% true. You are saved by grace through faith. Not of, it's, it's, it's a gift. It's not of works. No one can boast about it. There's nothing you need. You can't earn your favor with God. But he still expects you to be circumcised. You forget that bit, did he? That's okay. We're here now. We're here now. You know? Grace through faith. Oh, they tell you all about that? They did. Oh, that's great. But did they tell you, though, that you have to to go to church every Sunday now? You have to. Otherwise, God might not be too happy. They tell you that, yeah, it's great. Grace, but yeah, they tell you you have to give. Just wondering. That's okay. What he said was right, but I just... Did he tell you that you have to? Did he tell you that you have to? Did he tell you that you have to? So it became Jesus and something else. Jesus and something else. You're not in a family Jesus and something else, people. There's always something else. <laughs> you know why? Because can't, you can't find peace with something else. You'll find peace in Jesus. You will. You'll find salvation in Jesus. You'll find peace in Jesus. But if you want to attach something else to Jesus, you'll never have enough things to attach to it. You'll never find the thing that gives you that final sense of peace and that final feeling. Here's what what Paul wrote. Paul wrote this letter to the Galatian churches because some people came on in after he went to Galatia and preached grace. And I want you to listen to what Paul had to say. Here's what Paul had to say to the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 to 3, he says this. I love this. He says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty or the freedom by which Christ has made us free. Did you know if you're sitting here now and you put your faith in Jesus, you are free? You actually are free. That's exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Connor nodded. You're free. And what is he saying to these people? It's amazing how people, when they get freedom, don't mind trading in their freedom for a whole bunch of rules, rituals, and systems. I remember when I first got saved. I can't tell you how it happened, why it happened, what state I was in. I wasn't great. I wasn't great. I can't tell you nothing. All I can tell you is I was so encapsulated by this man, Jesus Christ, that went through what he went through, died on a cross... And was the final sacrifice for sin. I was so encapsulated with Jesus that even, I reckon if I prayed prayers right now in front of you that I prayed back then, you'd probably go, oh, you can't pray like that. You can't use those words. You can't say that word. You can't, 
That's, you know, I don't know. I can't tell you anything about that other than I was so encapsulated with the person of Jesus and the message of the cross that nothing else mattered. Nothing else mattered. And everything I did came out of being encapsulated by that love and that message. My prayer came out of that. You know what? My prayer life was way better back then than it is now. You know why now? Now because I feel like there are certain things I have to pray and certain ways you've got to pray. And where did it come from? I don't know, but it's there. It gets into us. We just get sort of drip-fed along the way, and before you know it, we wake up one day, and we're like these Galatians, and he's going, hey, stand fast in the liberty that God gave you. Why is he saying stand fast? Because they're starting to slip back out of it. What are they doing? They're slipping back into the old. They're just gradually, bit by bit, drifting back into an old mentality, an old way of thinking. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Now listen to what he says. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you, if you, become un- if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. In other words, it's one or the other. It's faith by grace or it's works based. Your choice. Your choice, but it's one or the other. And then watch this. I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised. He's a debtor to keep the whole law. So it's your choice. You can accept grace by faith or... You can say grace by faith plus this. If you, want to go, if you want to add a plus one, you're going to have to add another plus 629 because there were roughly 630 rules and laws that the Jews had to... We only know about the Big Ten, which is kind of the Big Ten, you know. It's interesting when the Jerusalem Council sat and these Gentile believers were coming to faith and, and the, the, the church leaders are together and they're debating, how does this work now? These are non-Jewish people. What do, we, what do we give them? They did not give them the Big Ten. Isn't that Interesting. At no point did they feel to say to these Gentile people that had raucous backgrounds and all sorts of stuff going on, they didn't have the need to go, this is an easy one, just give them the Big Ten. That's what it's all about. The whole faith revolves around the Big Ten. If you keep the Big Ten, you're doing good. You don't keep the Big Ten, you're doing bad. Keep the Big Ten, you're in. Failing the test of the Ten, you're out. It's all about the Big Ten. And if you do fall short, guess what? doesn't matter about why. Doesn't matter why. It's black and white. It's just, you, you fail the big ten, you're out. Isn't that what the old was like? Isn't that the agreement God had? So the old agreement is between a nation and God. And it's works-based. Very clear cut. There's no way to misinterpret this. The, 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 the writers of this, these, these scriptures and the writers of these letters and the writers of this history make it very clear. Israel's relationship was do the right thing by God, he will bless you. Do the wrong thing by God, he will curse you. Not do the wrong thing and bad things might happen. No, no, do the wrong thing and he will be the author of the bad things. When planes fly into the Twin Towers, oh, God's judging America. Well, when a tsunami sweeps through Indonesia, God's judging these. Well, hang on a second, I thought we were under a new agreement. And I thought this new agreement was between God and individuals, not... See, under the old, if, I guess, majority got it wrong, maybe the whole nation suffers. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Two million people cross the Jordan River. Two million people are being taken into the promised land. And out of those two million, are you going to sit here and... What are the law of averages? Do you think two million of them were... Really, really tragically terrible. I can tell you, at least there was a couple that did a pretty good job, Joshua and Caleb. They still waited 40 years. You know why? Because that was the agreement. It's between a nation and God. Jesus brings this new agreement. It says it's not about a nation and God. Now I'm offering it to every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And it's an individual agreement between you and God. 
It's not based on your works and your performance. Jesus says, I've done everything. I, I worked hard for this, now you get the benefit. You can be reinstated back into relationship with God. It's grace through faith. It's a radical thought for a bunch of people that have been brought up thinking otherwise. It's a radical thought for a nation that have been brought up thinking they're the only ones and they've got this exclusive relationship with God. It's a radical thought for a nation like that, even when they became Christian, for those people to look at the Gentiles and see them as anything other than unclean. It took a mentality change. They had to change the way they think. You see, the old has a mentality and the new also has a mentality. And we'll never walk into the new until we address the mentality and how much of the mentality do we still have that goes back to the old. And that's the challenge for the new people of God. And it's always been the challenge from the very birthing of this movement called the church. It's been about change that mentality because that mentality that I have right now, the mentality I live by will determine the next step I take. Do I throw the stone or do I drop the stone? So we're going to come back to what mentality will I allow myself to embrace. It's not easy. It's not easy. Because there's so much of the old that's still there. And it's a journey, but it's a journey worth taking. Especially if we care about the people that aren't sitting in buildings this morning and are not connected to God. We might feel like it doesn't matter too much because we're in. (laughs) You know, but we're not in just to be in. We're in so we can be sent out. Let people know there's a God out there that loves them, a God that cares for them, a God that died for them, did everything for them. You see, we can't accept one sin but not another. This is, this is what's going on here. Paul makes it very clear in Galatians. Here's, here's what he wants to say to the Galatians. You cannot cherry pick the bits you want and the bits you don't. You can't cherry pick the old. It's either every single thing in the old or it's everything in the new. You can't sit there and go, well, I can understand that that exaggeration or I can understand that God would love uh, and be able to deal with and accept the person that tells lies. But I cannot believe that God would accept the person who lives in a same-sex attracted relationship. I'm not saying either of them are right. What I'm saying is, it's the mentality. You can't cherry pick. Don't cherry pick. It's all or nothing. Everybody obeys everything and God loves them or people that still don't obey. You know what's interesting? When Peter has this encounter with Cornelius, we all know the story. We talked about it last week in in, in the book of Acts. It's recorded in Luke's history of the first 30 years of the church. And, And Peter's on a roof. And he's up on the roof and he has a trance. Everyone remember the story? He has this trance. And in the trance he sees all these unclean animals. And God lowers this sheet. Now, it's really interesting. Because Peter, who is still struggling with the old mentality, this is 10 years. Jesus was crucified. He saw the nail holes 10 years earlier. 10 years later, a man who saw Jesus is still struggling to change his mentality. So don't feel bad. I'm not having a go at any of us. If Peter, 10 years on after seeing the nail scars, walking with Jesus for three years during his earthly ministry, still 10 years later was struggling to get his brain around it, then I I think there's grace and compassion for us. You know? Is that okay? I I get it. I I still struggle sometimes. Sometimes it's so radical for me that I've got to go, God, help me. I'll never really embrace it without the help of the Holy Spirit because I need the Holy Spirit to help me understand and, and navigate but here's the thing peter gets up and <laughs> this thing comes down and peter does what he normally does he rebukes god and says i won't touch anything unclean it's not what i do and god says what 
Don't call what I've called clean unclean. He comes down. He ends up at Cornelius' house, this Gentile guy. What does he say to him? I've just realised something. In other words, I've just had a tiny one-degree shift in mentality that's going to help me to be a part of the answer to the world's problems. It's going to help me be a real part of the new. And he says, here's what I've just realised. He stands before Cornelius. He says, I've just realised. God's saying to me, don't call anything unclean that he calls clean. Cornelius had not bowed his knee to Jesus yet. Cornelius had not been filled with the Spirit yet. God's saying, Peter, I've cleansed them. They just don't know it. Stop seeing them as unclean. Stop looking at people that don't think like you as unclean. Stop looking at people that are involved in, in blatant sin. People, and, and here's the thing, there are some sins that people are involved in that I can understand, been there, got a story myself, get it. Others, if I'm brutally honest, disgust me. I don't have a mentality that can even embrace it. But here's the thing. When I think like that and I act out of that, by allowing you to come close and keeping you at arm's length, here's the, here's the bottom line. I'm living out of the old. I'm cherry-picking. I've got to stop cherry-picking. We've got to stop cherry-picking. I want to be part of the new. Jesus brought something so radical to the world, so radical to the world, that we're so quick. We're so quick, and I'm not judging anyone in this room, but I'm just bearing my heart here. I just want to be honest, because this is the journey we're on. This is the journey that we need to take. If we don't, we'll just be another group of people sitting in a room with a nice building with air conditioning. Hopefully it's nice and cool at the moment. Nice, cool air conditioning. It's hot up here, I'll tell you. We'll just be another group of people that say we love Jesus and we're going to go to heaven and we do love Jesus and we will go to heaven, but we will not have an impact in the world around us. It's unfortunate when you live in a world and the world knows more about what you're against and what you hate than what you love and what you do. It's a shame. We can't cherry-pick sins and go, that one's worse than that one's. We can't cherry-pick people and God, God would accept that person, but he certainly would not accept that person. You're cherry-picking. Stop cherry-picking. It's all of grace. Cornelius was clean before he ever bowed his knee to Jesus. And I'm, I'm not saying anything other than this. God wanted Peter to see him as clean. You could do your own theological interpretation about him and God. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a mentality of humanity, a mentality of God's new. He saw him as clean. He said, don't you call these people unclean. Don't you call them unclean. Jesus referred to him in his parables as lost and found. Pharisees and scribes referred to them as tax gatherers and sinners and all this sort of... Jesus said they're lost and found. And you know what? They're lost because they've got a story and they've got a journey and things have happened. And you know what? Under the old, that didn't matter. You just look at how they perform and you make a judgment and you are right according to the law. Yep, you go for it. You throw that stone, you hit him in the head and you start that flurry. But here's the thing. Under the new, there's probably a reason. And if you've taken any time to consider or to ask or to look or to find out the story... Because under the new, God's really interested in the heart. Under the old, the heart didn't matter, seemed to matter too much. You go back and you look at it. There's not that much stuff. It's fairly black and white. Under the new, it's a lot of grey and it's different. God's interested in the heart. You've heard it said, you commit this, bang, you're gone. I say, if you think it in here, it starts in here. Let's talk about here. Let's deal with in here. We've got to look in here at a lost, a broken and a hurting world. A world that needs this great news of a God who's done everything, a God who pronounces you clean right now. You don't need to do anything other than accept that 2,000 years ago a man died on a cross. And that man was Jesus Christ, this historical figure that you all hear about, you all know about. 
The question is, did he raise from the dead? Everyone knows he lived, everyone knows he died. Did he raise again? That's the key issue. And if he did raise from the dead, then you need to listen to what that guy has to say. And you should believe what he said. You should believe and you should examine his life and look at his life. You ever think about this? When Jesus hung on the cross, he said, it's finished. Remember that statement? It is finished. Did you know what was going to happen the next morning? Or a few hours after that? There was some priest with a goat and a knife. Spilled the blood. But guess what? God wasn't even looking. He didn't care. No more need for it. But for many people, life just went on as normal. We lived in India for uh, many years, and when we, one of the places that we lived in was a Muslim colony. I remember we were there one time because they, they, they kept wanting to invite us in to eat food. So we'd go on in to eat, to eat, to eat. And everywhere you'd go, you know, they, they could, because we were new and we were white in this particular colony, we, would, we, we got to the point where we were going to our gate and we were just praying, Jesus, would you silence everybody's ears? We were slowly prizing the gate open because it creaked. And as soon as it made one creak, then the other neighbour, oh, hello, hello, come, come, celebrate with... And, and we had, I reckon, about 11, 12 meals in one night because we're the new kids on the block, you know. So it was okay. The first couple are fine. I don't mind that. But after all, and you can't offend, you can't say that. And everywhere we'd go. But earlier on that day, because they were celebrating um, the same um, thing as Passover, basically. But they have a different name. And so what they did was all day in our colony, you can hear it all through the streets, and then all of a sudden at a very moment in time, it all went, everybody had done it at the same time, and it was all over, silence, finished. You know, as far as heaven's concerned, everything that needed to be done, to deal with the sin of man. That was kind of like that in heaven. That, that If you go back and you read under the old agreement, the amount of animals that were sacrificed, they were sacrificed daily. In the morning they did one. In the night they did one. Sundays they did a couple. Uh, festivals and feasts they did more. I mean, there was blood flowing like wine at some of your parties. But when Jesus hung on that cross, as far as God was concerned, the very next sacrifice didn't mean a thing. And no sacrifice ever since has meant anything in the economy of God because Jesus was the lamb that not covered sin, the Bible says, but he took it away. He dealt with the very core problem, the sin nature of man. Daniel, I'm going to get you to come on up for me, mate. I want to do something. I want to do something. Let me tell you something. The old is gone, the new is here, whether you like it or not. God's not up there going, well, what's the general consensus of the church? Do you like the new? Let me just, I'll just, let's have a vote. Who likes the new? Hang on. Um, okay, Gabriel, can you count now? You count those ones over there. You count the, Let's have a look. Do you like the new? Okay. Okay, boys, they're not, Daniel, they're not really happy with the new. This is the archangel Daniel. Um, Archangel Daniel, they're not really happy with the new. Um, so how about you guys have a think about it? I'll have a think about it. Let's, let's have a meeting in a week and we'll see if we can come up with something kind of in the middle. Some sort of middle ground that everyone's comfortable with. You, have, you, you think about it, I'll think about it. We'll have a board meeting in heaven and we'll talk about it. But he's not doing that, people. The new is here and the new is staying and the new is going nowhere. Whether I like it, whether you like it, whether I find it comfortable, whether you find it comfortable, read the life of Jesus, listen to what he said. There's a new thing happening. There's a new thing in town and it's going nowhere. So I'm going to make a decision. 
I've either got to put my hand up and say, here's the deal, God, I want you to take me on a journey and I want to open myself up and I want to go and become a person that exists in the movement of the new and take away from me all the mentalities and the thinking and the stuff that keeps me pinned back to an old agreement that you had with a nation because that old didn't do a thing. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, sorry, the writer of Hebrews said this. He said, if that old was really, really good for you, there would have been no need for something new. But because the old didn't work, hasn't worked, doesn't work, won't work, I've got to come up with a new thing, and Jesus brought the new. That's exciting. It doesn't work. This works. People's hearts are not transformed by judgment, criticism, and laws. They're transformed by love, grace, and faith. That's what changes a person. Go back to your story real quick. John chapter 8. These people, I want you to picture something. We're here in church. This is church. It happened in the temple. So it happened like this. Jesus is up the front. I'm not saying I'm Jesus. I'm just Jesus. But Jesus is teaching in the temple. That door gets kicked in. And all of a sudden, there's a big commotion at the back of the room. Everyone's like, what? what's going on? And they come up. And they bring a woman and they dump her on the ground right here in front of you. Read it. Jesus was already in the temple. He was already teaching a crowd. Then they came in. That's exactly the picture of what happened. They're sitting there listening. The door comes in. They throw this woman down in front. They don't care about the woman. You know what? The Bible doesn't even give us any background to this apparent adultery. We don't know what her life was like. We don't know what led her to that. We don't know what her background is, what her hurts, her disappointments, her scars. We don't know. And that crowd don't care. All they care about is you've done the wrong thing. It's black and white. And the law is black and white. And you need to be dealt with. And Moses says so. What do you say, Jesus? This is an emotionally charged story. We read it like a story. Before it was a story, it was an actual event. And the crowd's sitting there. And they turn their attention to Jesus and they're going, what do you do here? (laughs) This was not in the brochure. Didn't see this coming. But Jesus knew it was coming. Because the whole time he was here, he battled with this mentality of old, new, old and new. I'm so grateful that when Peter went to Cornelius' house, he said, you know what? I've just had an epiphany here. I've realized I can't call anything uh, dirty that God's called clean. If he didn't have that change in mentality, maybe you and I aren't sitting here today. Maybe we're not here. We probably would be because I'm sure God doesn't work on our time. He would have found somebody else, somebody else, somebody else. He would have got. God gets his way. He always does. Human history is his story. He makes it happen. He doesn't mind waiting 40 years while you wander in the desert. He doesn't mind. He'll do it. You know? But here's this lady. And she's down here. And, and I want you to picture something. Right? All the crowd have come in. We know there's old guys and we know there's young guys. We know that because when they finally walk away, we all know the ending of the story. When we walk away, it starts with the older people. Maybe it's the wisdom of age. Maybe the older we go on with God. Maybe the older and more we experience in life, we begin, hopefully, to understand that life is not so black and white. There's a bit of grey there. And things happen. Maybe we realise that mercy does triumph over judgement. Maybe it's part of the age thing. I don't know. But what I do know is in that highly charged emotional scenario, here's what's happening. 
This lady is there and she's cowering. Don't think that she's standing there nonchalant about the whole thing. She's about to be killed. See that stone in your hand? Hold it. Feel how hard that is? This is about to rain down on her and not just one of them. She's caught. She's trapped. If I was Jesus, because I'm a bit of a smart aleck. Yeah, really. If I was Jesus and they walked in and threw her down and said, here's a woman caught in adultery, what do you say? I'd say, well, I might have been born of a virgin, but I'm not an idiot. Where's the other guy? Bring him here and then we can have a chat. Where's the guy? I don't know. You know why? That's what happens when you cherry pick. You can get away with it, but you can't. Cherry picking. We've got to stop cherry picking. It's not building what God wants us to build. It's not. So she's down there and these guys are standing there. And I can imagine probably the younger guys, you know, because we're... They're, they're cocked. They're ready to go. It's basically, Jesus, you give us, you say the word, and we will pull this trigger. And she's gone. And I can imagine the older guys are at the back, same thing. They're thinking, that's great. These young bucks, they'll do whatever we say. They're going to go and rain hellfire down upon this woman. We're just going to look at Jesus with a smile. Gotcha. Jesus is very smart. I, mean, I don't know why they kept trying to trip him up. He's just so clever. <laughs> you know? Here we are 2,000 years later reading these stories going, you Pharisees were idiots. At the time, they're like, we got you now, Jesus. 2,000 years, 2,000 years of us reading the same stories going, you're a fool. Jesus was right. Usually the way it works. So they're standing there, cocked like this. And Jesus makes a statement. I love his statement too. He doesn't say none of you can throw a stone at her. I love that. He just says, whoever in this crowd doesn't have any sin, you rain down the first one. That's what he said. How cool is that? He didn't say nobody could throw him. He just said, I just want to make sure that this person that starts this whole thing is sinless. That's all I need. And if you're happy to admit that, launch away. And then he stoops back down and writes in the ground. You know what I reckon would have happened? Everyone would have stood there. You know what? They all would have thought the same thing. <sighs> okay, well, count me out. But I'll guarantee there's got to be someone here. There'll be someone here, and as soon as you go, you go the first one, I'll be the second in there. And the young guys are there going, yeah, well, we're the young guys, you know, we what we do, we go camel tipping and probably shouldn't do that. We, we don't throw eggs at people's houses because eggs are valuable. We throw whole chickens. They bounce back off and still produce. Uh, you know, we do our wicked things, so we can't. We know, we're, we're young guys, we know. But you older blokes, some, one of you guys, you got it. And then here's what happened. While they're standing there with their arms cocked, Guys standing there like this, waiting in this tense moment. And here's what they heard. He dropped his stone. Everyone's dropping their stones. Everyone's dropping their stones. You know what they were really dropping? They're dropping their masks. I'm not sinless. I'm not perfect. The dropping of a stone represented the dropping of a mask because all of a sudden, in amongst that crowd, maybe you were the first one, maybe you garnered them, maybe you got them excited and passionate, maybe you were the one that said, let's do this, and all of a sudden you drop your stone. And you're admitting, you know what? probably not in a position to make this judgment call. I'm not perfect myself. 
I'm admitting to the rest of you around here, I'm not perfect. You can throw stones if you want to. And I wonder what would have happened if they threw stones. Don't know. But they dropped it. And then Jesus says this thing to him. He says this. He goes, where are your accusers? I know I'm going a little long this morning, but please bear with me. He says, where are your accusers? And here's what the woman would have did. Here's what she would have done. She would have looked around. You know what she saw? When she looked around the temple. She saw no accusing people. There was nobody in there that was going to accuse her. She saw no law that could now accuse her. Because all those people spouting the legal stuff, they're gone. And then Jesus says these beautiful words to her. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. It's, all, it's, it's, it's almost like the sin just wasn't a big issue to him. Don't jump on me for that. Don't jump on me for that. Sin's a big issue. It was big enough for Jesus to die to deal with and take away that sin nature. But we're all broken. We're all on a journey and none of us have made it. And now the Holy Spirit's inside of me and he works with me. And he's helping me get better. And he's helped me understand God more. He's helping me love people more. I don't need rules anymore. I don't need the Big Ten to tell me how to control my external appearance. He says, no, no, no. I don't just love the version of you you're comfortable with me loving. I love the real version of you. I love what Brennan Manning said, an old Episcopalian priest. He's dead now, but he made this statement. He said, God loves you as you are and not as you should be, for none of us are as we should be. It's almost like Jesus wanted her to see a group of people that were not accusing her in a place where there was grace, not law. No, no law accusing her, no people accusing you. And when she was in that environment, he was able to let her hear these words, I don't condemn you either. I think that is a beautiful, beautiful picture of church. And here's what I want to do to close. I've asked Daniel just to play that amazing grace. He's just going to finger pick it along. Every now and then I, I feel like it's good to respond. We can get up. If you want to get up and go, you can. You're free to go. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to take that stone in your hand and I want you to ask yourself the question, is there anything we've been talking about? We've been going through this for a few weeks now, old and new. I'm hoping, and from what I'm hearing God is, the Holy Spirit's stirring us up, he's showing us things. I want you to come forward and I want you to just put that stone down. I want you to drop it out the front here. And that's your way of saying to God, Lord, I don't fully get it all. I'm still on a journey. But I don't want to be the accusing crowd. I don't want to be a part of the old, Lord. I want to learn what it means to embrace and be a part of your new movement. So I can, we can preach and point and poke and stab. It makes no difference. It's when the Holy Spirit begins to get on the inside of us and the Spirit starts to speak to us. That's when real transformation and real change comes. And the beautiful thing under the new agreement is this, that God sends his Spirit to live inside of you. So it's there. Learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. Trust that God will guide you. Trust that God will lead you. So I just want him to play that through. And I just want you, if you don't want to, don't. I'm not asking you to do anything. I want you doing stuff you don't want to do. But I just felt this morning to just invite you to come forward. You drop that stone. And you just have some time with God. 
And if you, if you want prayer, we've got our, our, the team of people here, they're, they're going to come up the front, they'd love to pray with you as well. Again, you don't have to do it, it's not a performance before people, this is something between you and the Lord. And if that's you this morning, just as Daniel plays, we're going to have a, a, a minute or so of silence, just feel free to come on forward. If you need to go, let me give you permission now, please feel free to leave, no one's going to think ill of you, some of you might have things to get to or places you've got to be, but can I just ask you, just respect this little bit of silence and little space. Uh, for the people that do want to come forward. Amen. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you for the unconditional, unfathomable, amazing, awesome, Lord, mentally incomprehensible love that you have for us, a bunch of people that really don't get it. But we accept it by faith. And we are works in progress. And I pray this morning, Lord, that you would be speaking to us. I pray, Lord, that we would do what Peter did. We would be open to having our mentality changed. Lord, we don't want to be stone throwers. We don't want to be accusers. Lord, we want to be people of the new. Where the heart matters most. Where we're saved by grace through faith, not by looking good or performing good, or jumping through hoops. Lord, we're a a natural collection of imperfect people who you look down upon and you see perfection because of the blood of Jesus. We thank you. I just pray right now, Lord, would you just speak to people, Father? Anyone that's here, God, that you're touching? Anyone here that's willing or feeling led to go on that journey with you, Lord. I just pray right now, Lord, as we sit, Holy Spirit, just speak. No reason to hide ourselves from the world. No reason to hide ourselves from you. Holy Spirit, just continue what it is that you're saying and doing in the lives of people. Father, we thank you for the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the reality of that moment. Father, I pray in the next seven days as we go out from here, God, give every one of us in this room, Lord, give us an opportunity to share that message with someone, God, that doesn't know it yet, someone that hasn't heard it, someone that doesn't understand it. And Lord, don't just give us an opportunity. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you poke us? Would you prod us? To not just see the opportunity, but to have the daring faith to take it. Just as Jesus knelt in the garden and said, I don't want to do this. If there's another way, I would rather it be done that way, but not my will, it's yours. I'm here to play my part in the overall plan of God. Let that be our heart. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, bless you guys. Like I said, we're going to, Daniel going to keep playing. <laughs> he just found that out. If you need to go, feel free to go. If you'd like prayer, we're just going to hang around up the front here. Feel free to come on up the front. We'd love to pray with you, chat with you.
Otherwise, guys, bless you. Have a great rest of your week.